Merry Christmas from the Bad Vibes Club. To, from me to you. Um, I've just had coronavirus and then my baby got coronavirus. Not not my like kind of sweetheart baby. My child got coronavirus and then my wife got coronavirus. So it's been horrible. But I'm feeling better now. and Well, everyone's feeling better now. That's the main thing. Anyway, but... Just before I got coronavirus, me and Ross Jardine, my friend and collaborator on Radio Anti, we went to see Old Food, which is a performance of a, of a book of the same name by Ed Atkins. The performance was by Toby Jones reading the book from start to finish at Wigmore Hall in central London. And me and Ross enjoyed it so much that we decided we'd do a podcast about it. So I suppose this is for people who have who like Ed Atkins' work, who maybe have read bits of old food because there's little bits that have been published and performed before, or maybe have read, have the book and came to see the performance. It's a very small, <laughs> very small audience who are going to have already seen the performance by Toby Jones. But the point really is to talk about Ed Atkins' writing and what happened happens when writing is performed what the difference is between writing and performance so we talk obviously about that performance we also talk about a book called looking at the overlooked for essays on still life painting by norman bryson which ross mentions in relation to this interesting thing about greek still life in which food is kind of nourishing without having to be worked for without having to be harvested or kind of acquired anyway it just kind of appears this idea of nourishment coming from nowhere which I thought was interesting. So I ended up talking about Sam Keogh's exhibition at CCA and The Land of Cocaine, the painting by Bruegel the Elder. Uh, what else do we talk about? Let me have a look at my notes here. Oh, we also talk about the Hungarian-English novelist called David Soloy and his appreciation of the kind of quotidian aspects of lower middle-class grinding mediocrity and then we end up talking about Matthew Barney and his long long films particularly River of Fundament and his latest one which is called Readout and then I start going off about performance and Rosalie Goldberg's histories of performance particularly her book which was originally called Performance from 1909 to the Present and then they, for the second edition, they changed it from futurism to the present kind of primal or fundamental history of performance and then finally we end up talking a little bit about Paul McCarthy, the American performance artist. But mostly Ed Atkins, Old Food. It's a good book. You could buy it from Fitzcarraldo Editions. And the idea with the Toby Jones performance is that they'll try and... I think that they'll try and do it every year at Christmas as a kind of, yeah, Christmas festive tradition, which seems nice. All the money from the tickets went to charity. That seemed kind of Victorian. Anyway, that's, that's enough from me. All right, enjoy the conversation and I'll see you at the end. All right, let's talk about Ed Atkins then. All right. Old food. Eddie. Eddie. So do you want to describe what old food was? Well, is and you know what we saw and then what it is also. All right. So I've got the book. So, Oh, you got the book as well? Yeah, I did buy the book because um, I wanted to read it in quite a specific way. We were talking about, well, after the performance, we were talking, I was talking about the still lives in it. So I thought I would kind of look for those in the book so old food what is a poem i would say i didn't realize that at the performance um quite so much i thought it was a kind of a long piece of writing but when you actually read the book it's very much structured like a a poem um Mm. we went to see a performance of it, um, a reading by Toby Jones, um, the famous Toby Jones, the famous Toby Jones, the famous actor, where he read the book cover to cover in about two hours at Wigmore Hall. Mm, nice was, setting, wasn't it? It was very nice setting, yeah, um, and it was very durational. I think. <laughs> Very durational. <laughs> it was long. It felt long. <laughs> I didn't... It was interesting, the experience of hearing it read, actually, because I didn't think it felt too long. It was... I think there was a point about 20 minutes in where it became quite intimidating. Mm. Um, 
but it's actually a very entertaining and funny and engaging piece of writing and for something that's so destructive in terms of writing form Mm. it's um it's very easy to grasp onto aspects of it to make it very interesting to hear read i think the duration or it's interesting to see toby jones after reading it because it he visibly looked quite exhausted Mm, (laughs) after the performance and it's absolutely not surprising um i i saw some review because this is the second time they've done it and he they first did it in 2019 and i just noted in some of the reviews they mention you know oh firstly they split it into two parts there was an interval Mm. and secondly they mention something like only stopping to drink for water and he didn't as far as I saw, he didn't even stop to drink he water. He did not, no. He didn't. Stop to stop to drink water. Yeah, it was quite a... When you say very durational, I really agree with that phrasing in the sense of performance art, of it being like part of this is about the duration. And mm. yeah, we are not going to split it into two parts and give you an interval. And he's going to have some water, but he's going to try not to drink it. I'm not sure if that was a direction or just something that Toby Jones kind of vibed after having read it once. But what was weird was the mixture. And what I really enjoyed was the mixture of British. I'm going to just say all these words that the key words like lovey acted, you know, like character actor, musical pantomime actory stuff. Like he really acted it. Like when you look at the text, a lot of the stuff that got laughs was is funny in the text, but it's it was funny in a very like different, much more like theatre way when Toby Jones read it out. And then this other thing of like yeah, like performance art, concrete poetry, endurance, uh, yeah, duration, like this other kind of much more um, hard line, strict performance stuff. Mm. It was a really yeah, really strange and quite beguiling mix. I think mm. of that stuff. I think that reflects the text as well. I think mm. when you read as a as a kind of red text, there's this balance of quite difficult nonsense to read or the more sort of concrete poetry aspects of it. But then just when you think, as someone that doesn't read difficult poetry very much... If, at moments where you might get lost, it suddenly kind of slips back into very familiar flavours of crisp or <laughs> yeah, halloumi, or you know <laughs> um, things about things that you instantly recognise. Which I think what I said about it, it just hooks you in all the time. And what were you? You were saying you bought the book to do a very specific reading of it. What was that? Well, I just wanted to go through because when Toby Jones read it, I mean, as background, the the book is about food, as the title suggests, and there are moments in the performance where Toby Jones read kind of lists of of food um mm. and i think there's something about the description contained within the lists that really just made me kind of think of still lives mm. um and in particular a, a text that i was reading last year um about the history of kind of still life painting and there's a particular section on it which talks about um a form of kind of early Greek still life painting, um, in and and that was about food, but it was very much about nourishment, and it felt like the book, the the kind of text, was very much about how the characters found nourishment from food um, mm. and other kind of things that ran through the through the text, other sort of moments of nourishment. I think actually I got to the end of the reading and I was like, oh, this is about vampires. And mm. and I think there is, I, I've not seen specific references to it, but I think there is like a vampiristic element to the characters in the, in the text and how they obtain nourishment from mm. fairly, I would say, ripe and available, <laughs> available things. And that could be people's bodies or fruit 
or you know crisps and and the whole book is about you know obtaining this nourishment and i think i just really wanted to see what those lists of foods look like Mm. um on the page and um to see whether that ripeness kind of carried over onto onto the onto the text which i think it does Mm, okay interesting it makes me think of um the first talk that was uh no sorry not the first the second talk that was ever at bad vibes club was mark fisher and he came and talked about nick land he very kindly and gamely came and talked about nick land who was his teacher at the ccru and then became a mad fascist mm. anyway but uh mark fisher talked about his work in terms of vitalism or a kind of dark vitalism but vitalism being this kind of almost, well, it definitely out of date set of philosophies that's about the kind of energy or, or life force running through things. And in old food, well, in the text of old food and in the reading, this life force kind of comes from everywhere, which is interesting what you say about vampires, because it comes from as much from like the brand names of Blue Nun and whatever it is, a certain brand of yogurt or whatever it is, as, as it does from the food itself. And like you say, like these things in which... Once you go back to the text, you realise some of what's in those lists are nonsense words, but because they're within the framing device of being eaten, then they just sound like foods or they kind of complement the notion of, yeah, food. But nourishment's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. What's the, what's this? What's this? Can you talk more about this kind of Greek form of still life that's about nourishment? Yeah, so hang on. It's an interesting text because I'm just going to pull it up. And I thought it was particularly interesting in this to relate to this because it's about nourishment and labour. And I thought the the text had a kind of interesting relationship to labour. Well, I didn't think that at the time, but reading this text about the Greek painting, I'm just, hang on, bear with me. You can cut this, can't you? Mm -hmm. Um, Here we go. The the reference is... um, Philostratus, who it was a Greek writer. So there's no kind of evidence of these Greek still lives, but they've got some writing um, from a Greek writer called Philostratus. And he's talking about this specific type of still life painting called Xenia. The, the text that I've been reading kind of takes certain depictions of food as being associated with labour. So it's um, so I'm going to read a little bit. So in his monumental work, Rebellis in his world, Batkin observed that in the oldest system of images, food was related to work. Work triumphed in food. Human labour's encounter with the world and the struggle against it ended in food, in the swallowing of that which had been wrestled from the world. Bactin's remark applies directly to the first Xenia that Philostratus describes, but in reverse. What Philostratus first stresses is the complete absence of the dimension of human labour from the system of natural abundance. So the quote from the Philostratus book is, um, purple figs dripping with juice are heaped on vine leaves, and they're depicted with breaks in the skin, some just cracking open to disgorge their honey, some split apart, they are so ripe. Um, And then, so, end quote. So the figs break open themselves, no effort or implement is needed to reach the goodness within. That goodness is honey, food that not only requires no cooking, but Mm. that is unaffected by cooking. It can be heated, yet fire will not transform it into another state. The figs themselves render all preparation redundant, no need even for a dish or plate. The vine leaf is enough to serve them. And I just thought that was really interesting in the old food text because there is very little preparation of food. Everything is available and comes that nourishment is already is kind of already there mm, and they're just kind of yeah. eating it like there are i think there are it, it's really funny because the one 
kind of example of when they do describe some sort of cooking or or preparation is the description of, of the um there's a very long description of a barbecue oh is there and um and it's a kind of it's over oh, a like a sh- it's like a shitty student barbecue almost yeah the barbecue we had was orange and was one of those gas powered ones but you had to use a long special match that you had to use a long special match on or the yeah. pin lighting one to light it and it just felt like that really stood out as a an exception to the rest of the book where you know there are brief moments where they talk about how they prepare food but quite often it's just there and it mm. nourishes them mm. and it's already uh, kind of well no preparation is required they just eat it reminds me i went to see sam keogh's exhibition at goldsmith cca and i think he yeah he refers to this painting the land of cocaine by brugel the elder do you know that picture i don't know no it's um tj clark wrote about it in the lrb maybe or in his book about uh, no it's in his book about heaven depictions of heaven Ah. and um the land of cocaine is like a kind of mythical place where yeah there's just that's their pies just like on a big yeah yeah it's just abundance basically it's a a land of abundance i don't know what what cocaine is but it's not cocaine you know like the drug cocaine no but yeah, there's just food everywhere. And these are all the morality. It's meant to be a morality tale, the painting. It's meant to be about the dangers of sloth and gluttony because these are like, I can't remember if some of them are meant to be laborers or one's meant to be a soldier or something, but they're, you know, they're all slumped over because they've eaten so much and they're not doing their jobs anymore. But it's really weird because it's obviously like meant to be about how that's bad, but also mm. it depicts this land in which, you know, everything's covered in pies and, and meat is hanging off the trees or whatever it is and there's that little at the back there there's a um a pig walking around with a knife that's like stabbed into it that's taken a little bit out of its you know you could just eat the meat off the animals so exactly what you're saying like you don't have to prepare the food to be nourished and in fact the images of people who are already completely nourished so nourished that they don't want to eat anymore Mm. but they're still surrounded by food so there's something about labor and um abundance and nourishment there as well but i suppose it's where it's like the notion of too much or something like what is what is too much like it never seems to stop the the food in old food no no it keeps on coming and they always have this appetite to eat it but there's some yeah like but then you know to parallel with the performance idea like you have to kind of endure their endless appetite and they have to endure their endless appetite. And then I suppose we as humans have to endure our endless appetite and Mm. decide what to do with it and how to, uh, what's the word, slake it without becoming greedy or becoming immoral or whatever it is. Mm. But I suppose that's, that's, is there like a morality in old food? Because to me, that's where it had this kind of particularly British element of like musical and like squalid seaside cool wet chips walk down spline and kiss me duck like literally like seaside references and stuff so i don't know there's something i don't know because oh yeah this is what i wanted to talk about because he's performed elsewhere outside of london he's performed ed atkins has performed these himself like bits of this himself and he dresses in this kind of big black smock dress thing like and it's much more i mean he's you know he's he's very good at reading and he would read in uh to use a, a kind of quick hand word like in an actory way he's not reading in like a dull performancey way mm. but toby jones is like a an actor that british people know and i just imagine like it wouldn't work in copenhagen to get toby jones to come and read your your like book but it kind of works in london and that's why it's at christmas as well or something that like this idea in the in the press for the the 2021 performance that we saw it was very much about this idea of establishing it as a christmas tradition because all the money goes to charity so it's like this very complex thing where like you get this like british character actor to read your performance piece that's full of kind of like sometimes like sexy ribald rabelaisian jokes mm-hmm. and sometimes kind of disgusting abject body stuff it does it just felt like really like a very it was aimed at a 
an English sensibility or a British sensibility or something. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think the reference points, this, it sort of goes back to what, is, is it David, uh, David Sazanay, David, but we've spoken about in the past and the reference points that he uses are very specific and English and class-based as well. I think, and I'm I just think gonna. I'm just gonna cut him first. He's, so it's David Soloy, apparently. Soloy, yeah, that's how you say the name, Soloy. Oh, but it is spelled S Z A L A Y. But but we love him for his kind of very in, amazing ability to observe closely, observe English grossness. But apparently, mm. he was born in Montreal, and he's Hungarian English. That's his oh, really? national makeup or whatever. So there you yeah. go. Anyway, sorry. But he he builds these worlds of kind of references of, you know, pret sandwiches and, you know, similar kind of, similar references of Tesco, me- Tesco metros. Yeah, and Young's pubs and yeah. like commuter trains and packet sandwiches. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so clever because it's not Weatherspoon's pubs, it's Young's pubs. That's, <laughs> yeah. you go, that's, there's like a depth a to that cut. observation. It's a deep cut. <laughs> Young's pubs, yeah. Um, and I think it's a very particular because it's not just Englishness, is it? It's a very particular in- Englishness or a very particular kind of, it's a working Englishness of, it's, it's almost, it's class-based, but it's, it's in the bit of Englishness that isn't really a class anymore that, or well, something. Yeah. I mean, I'd say David Soloy is definitely, there's a particular classes maybe to no i think classes right for his for his work of like just the shitty like lower middle classes right the like shitty jobs that mean that you live outside of the city and you have to commute like a very particular economic range whereas i think old food is like there's something nostalgic about it like knowingly but but yeah, this idea that we all go to the pantomime at Christmas or something, mm. which kind of is and isn't true or something like, but I don't know. But or like, or you know, we all watched, we all watched Monty Python, or we all saw, or we all watched Faulty Towers or something. Yeah, but it's like partly about because it's 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 much more non-specific, like you say, you know, all the things that get eaten are really specific, but I don't think they're meant to evoke any particular class. Because, you know, there's skate wings alongside an oak-smoked Union Jack, alongside a, you know, dill pickles, capers. Like, there's there's stuff that's, like, international or or not just working class or something. No, I mean, that's this is silly to, like, bring it down to that. But, but I, don't, it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's an appeal to a timelessness in old food that's a bit different to Soloy, which is about how, mater- mm. he's, you know, he's a materialist, like in, in that cultural materialist sense of like, if you, if you pick out all the shitty commodities, then you name, you explain your time. Like that's, that's what I got, That's the sense I got from Soloy's novels, but it's an interesting comparison for sure. I think there's definitely a relationship. What did you think of, um, like what was your actual experience of sitting through the whole performance? We just had, two beers oh no you'd had one beer one beer I'd had two beers maybe that was my issue and some ramen and I've now realised I was coming down with Covid but I was like really enduring the performance in that way that like I was trying to fight to stay not quite stay awake but like to not feel really tired I think I had I had peaks and troughs I think I didn't look at I didn't look at the time, um, and it was very it was very difficult to do that because, you know, it was I thought the the audience it was very it was a very tense audience, um, mm. 
And I think oh, we had to was, have masks on, didn't we? I forgot. Yeah, about that as well. and uh, it was also an audience that, that felt very aware of each other. And I think if someone had started looking at their phone, it would have. Oh, man. It would. It would. <laughs> It would not have gone down well. So, if, so it really was quite relentless. I think you were, yeah. you were quite aware of yourself as a, as a viewer. I used the book. I used the book to know where we were because he, because it's a thick enough book. It's not really big, but like it's a thick enough. But you can see how far along he was. You're I like, did okay, the same. Through. I did the same. <laughs> and then there was a moment where the the last pages sort of fanned out. Oh, did they? Oh, I didn't see that. That's really nice. <laughs> and um, I got a bit confused. I was like, really? Is that, have we still got all of that? You know. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I say, I thought the experience was, it, it, it didn't feel as such an endurance as I thought it might do Yeah. With, without the break. Um, I enjoyed it. I think it was, yeah. I was glad when it finished. He really acted it though. Like that's that's something that is hard to stress. Although, or, or more like, I'd like to see Ed Atkins read it because he's a good reader. He's a good performer. But you know, like Toby Jones, like played it for laughs at certain points, and then also just right at the end, he I don't know if he did. He, he didn't stand up, did he? I really he did. He, he did. did. He did. For he the last um, the for the last few lines, he stood. He stood up. And that he was amazing. Have... It was this sudden like. Uh, cresting of the wave is yeah, really good. It's very dramatic. Um, what I was, what I think I was surprised about was, and was why I was so keen to talk about it. Actually, was the the tech. It really stayed with me for quite a few days. You know, we, when you see something like a film that really af- affects you or something, and it you, it kind of. Um, it lingers with you a little bit. And I really felt that from it. I think for, like I say, for something that is so abstract in form, there's something about how the text builds characters and place really quite strongly, which is which is really surprising because I didn't feel that mm. at the reading. But there was there's just something about how it dwelled afterwards, maybe because I knew we were... I carried on thinking about it because we I knew we were going to record this and yeah I found I still do find it quite a sort of affecting text actually there's so if there's something about that nostalgia and the place there's there's a kind of yearning for that mm. rural idyll that it kind of and abundance that it describes like there's something quite fundamental about that certainly that dwells within me or something oh, and I think that's what maybe what I was trying to get at with this this like nostalgic thing where it's almost like he's describing not a class but a time and the time was a time when you could I you were either gonna drink and eat together with your friends or be beaten up like you were all yeah. hanging out on an edge lands near an industrial estate having a barbecue rather than you're in your back garden having a barbecue or something i don't know and like and now you can look back and describe it you know you weren't beaten up or you you choose to not tell that story and you choose instead to talk about the food that you all ate the crisps and the bread and the you know various pastes or whatever panda pops yeah it's it's very particular there's something about like having got the book as soon as i opened the book i was like oh yeah this is not a book that i would sit and read like i probably will now because I've decided to spend time with this work, but it's like a, buying that ticket to go and see the performance was like unlocking a, a kind of enduring affection for the work simply by mm. turning up and sitting there for two hours. And now I will remember it or something. Yeah. And I don't know if that's purely in the ticket. It's, you know, purely in the act of deciding to spend time with something or if it was, I think it's in the work as well. Cause I went to see um, in 2014 uh, Maybe I was still just being a twat at that point about art, but like I went to see Matthew Barney's. Um, yeah, probably was. Uh, what was the film? The River of Fundament. Mm. It's very long. It's like six hours long or something. And uh, I like left after the first um, interval. And I remember Lucy Beach 
was like incomprehending about the fact that I left after the first interval. And, uh, and that was when I realised that some artists take art seriously, <laughs> which is like, that's partly my reckoning in the PhD is realising that I'm allowed to, like, you know, I, I can enjoy art and I can really spend time with it and, and not just dismiss it all the time. But also I wonder with whether with Barney, like there's lots I do love about Barney. I watched his recent film and really enjoyed it, but it's very, very serious and it's very self-serious as well. Mm. You know, it's funny and, you know, you can be non, you can do a non-serious enjoyment of it and it's not a disservice, but, you know, six hours of trying to find the humour in a, in a quite airless film Maybe I mean maybe I need to go back and rewatch River of Fundament, but I don't know. Like some endurances aren't aren't worth. They don't do the same thing. Whereas yeah, spending time with this text through Toby Jones' performance of it really has given me like a deep kind of affection for it, where I'm taking it seriously as a piece of art and also enjoying it tremendously. And that isn't always the case, but there is something about the fact that you just you decide to give your attention to it that does that, or something that unlocks something. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you can cut that. <laughs> I don't really have a response. I think, yeah. yeah. What are the other long things that you like? There can't be that many because you can't, you can't do it. You can't give two-hour things much attention or like very long poems much attention because they demand loads of attention or no attention. You can't give it a bit of attention and get the gist or whatever. You know, I watched two hours of that River of Fundament film and that isn't really enough. Like, if you're going to watch a six-hour film and you watch two hours of it, it doesn't work, does it? Whereas, like, a shorter form, you can just be like, oh, yeah, I went to see that show and walked around it for half an hour and I kind of got the vibe of the paintings or whatever. No, you're right, you're right. But do you think that's about the book, the relationship between the performance and the book, having the book to take away? Because I think you're right, I wouldn't... I wonder what I wondered about when I was reading the book, whether I would have found it so or as accessible as I do now and as readable without the performance. You know, what you've just said, basically. I think the performance provides that access point into the into the book and makes it makes it more readable. Because I read, you know, I, I'm a slow reader and I read half of it last night and really enjoyed it for mm. an hour but I do wonder whether I'd just someone had given it to me how far I would have got into the book maybe mm. I mean I do really like books that have these sort of reference points in so I think and find it really interesting and satisfying so maybe it would have maybe I maybe it would have done but I think the di- the, the difference is is that I'll just read a little bit Perian sardines used to be taken beside a heavily spidered wall abutted by tracts of barren zilch. Barren zilch was silted and jewelled in the gullies with a gravel of pink cochineal husks. Now, if you're like, if I read that, I would start to lose attention or focus on it because of the non non sequiturs or kind of nonsensical thing. Barren zilch, like I kind of get it, but it's also like a florid a purposely florid bit of poetic language. But when Toby Jones read it, it all, it, it kind of put it together as though it were a, a narrative or a story or like he did that extra job of like, oh, you know, you could pretend this all made sense for a second and then, and then it would get you through to the next bit about, you know, something else that's fun to think about. I don't know. That's, that's the only thing I could think. That's the only th- thing I could... But there is something... I wonder whether there's something that you don't have to you don't have to give very much to the text which I which is very enjoyable you know it's like to to kind of extend the fault it's very it is there for you ready to nourish you and is very ripe like you don't have to you can I think you can read it on a very surface level mm. and its reference points kind of give you access to to ways in that is very easy, which which I like. Whereas watching a Barney film for six hours, that's like intense in a way 
that you will feel alienated, confused. Mm. You know, it's not a nice, you know, it's a good, it's probably a good experience, but it's not, it's not an experience that makes you feel good about yourself. I wonder (laughs) if... You know, like, it's not... uh, There's a sort of... There's a discipline to it. Yeah. And it's one that you get through the end. And... Sorry, one sec. Yeah, we are. What are you going to say? Hang on. Baby duties. Hello, baby. Look, Ray, but it's Ross. Oh, she's blurred out, isn't she? That's so strange. That's, oh, there, oh she there she is. There she is. Hello. You all right, darling? <laughs> she's, not, she's, not, she's not great with screens. She's good with mirrors. She can look in a mirror, but she can't. Oh, she's gorgeous, mate. I like her little leopard, leopard outfit. <laughs> so, sorry, what did you say? Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a level of serious discipline and... There's almost like a weird sort of macho thing of getting to the end. It's a very, yeah. it's a very guy thing to sit through six hours and, you know, be like, yeah, I watched that and, you know, understood it. And it's, you know, to get value from that mm. experience rather than just to admit that. Can't be asked. <laughs> you can't be you need the you'd, rather, you'd rather go and get a McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, I think I did. That's oh, my I did. <laughs> yeah. See, but I think I think there's something. But that maybe that's the thing is that there's something very British about the populist tend the populist enjoyments that are strewn throughout the book. So this bit, we made beans on buttered toast with a copious strew of grated cheddar on top. Sometimes beans engulfed a hot buttered jacket potato. It's like that is like pleasurable in like a very base way for like someone who's grown up in Britain eating like shit cafe food or whatever it is yeah you know school dinners or you know like and maybe maybe there is class stuff there but I think lots and lots of people I mean it's a cliche of of Englishness baked beans isn't it it's not just you know Americans laugh at the fact that we eat these weird gross things (laughs) we laugh at the fact that we eat these weird gross things so there's a populist element to it that barney you know like his deep research into you know the recent films about kind of um the reintroduction of wolves into northwestern america and you know guns and etching and like it's hard to describe but like you know it's all serious research about serious stuff that some people care about but most of his audience won't have already thought about Mm. whereas i've already thought about how nice you know, I, I I think quite a lot about how good the chips, cheese and beans were when I did my national diploma <laughs> art course <laughs> at Colchester Institute like 20 years ago. But it's, yeah, yeah exactly. But it's, um, but the Barney content is, is interesting. you saying about the Ed Atkins book being related to time and to place mm. because I think that type of work that Matthew Barney is an example of is one that is disassociated from time and place. It speaks to like much more universal truths or, yeah. so, or something like that. It, you know, it's trying to find fundamental things about exis- existence. Or, yeah, all the characters are archetypes, right? Like, so, so even in the even in the recent film, it's about kind of it takes as its basis quite a it's called readout sorry the recent film and it takes a particular historical thing the reintroduction of wolves into wherever it is i can't remember but america somewhere so it's like a real recent event and you know he's you know he's dressed up in as a park ranger but his park ranger is like the law and the dancers are like femininity so they're not like individual characters yeah whereas like yeah. in old food you know this there's one named character called Hannah who just keeps popping up as a girlfriend or a sister or a, you know, like a person who's in relation to, is it, is it like clearly written by a man, old food? Like it's performed by a man and it is obviously written by a man, but is it, is there like a, a gendered 
masculinity to the I think there's a mo there was a moment where Hannah he he describes being kicked in the head <laughs> holding a kebab. Right, yeah. And Hannah didn't help. Yeah. Um where that could only be a man. Yeah. I think. It it just describes that kind of teenager fear of being kicked in the head on like a high street somewhere yeah outside the kebab shop but i think i it, there was just there were a couple of moments in the text like similar to that oh there you go dear hannah thank you for saying your tremendous nothing and doing nothing thank you so much for absenting yourself entirely thank you for not raising a finger to halt the head kicking me somehow still clutching a shawarma. <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice. Um, yeah. Really spare, but just opens up a world of remembered anxiety. This, uh, I was reading, the sun, so this, I've been reading this Ro- Rosalie Goldberg performance um, book written originally in 1979. And I've been doing a kind of strong reading of it, like reading it very closely and looking for moments at which it defines something about my idea of performance and writing them all down. And um, one bit of it was about, it's all about, the, I guess it was about uh, the Judson Memorial Church and like all the performances and stuff going on around there in the 60s uh, and lots of the dance work there, all taking as its starting point Oh, actually, and also Bauhaus dance stuff as well, taking as its starting point um, everyday gesture, kind of like banal Mm. everyday actions, like whatever, brushing your teeth or walking or like how they can become dance too. And something really struck me, which was the idea that gesture of those kinds is like a way into abstraction that's different from, it's like an imminent form of abstraction. So instead of like going beyond the human and going to like, I don't know, like, you know, planes of color or pure forms or lines of being a kind of abstraction Mm. like noticing that that movement when you brush your teeth or something is like if you just stop thinking about it as brushing your teeth it's you've abstracted it you kind of turned it into something that could be yeah yeah moved around and and re-performed or whatever like that really struck me as like oh yeah that's why i'm interested in the quotidian and the everyday and Mm. It's not like, obviously there's nostalgia and there's specific referencing, but also you can use it as a form of abstraction. If you list, you know, you list every meal you've ever eaten or if you think about all the brand names of the foods, you know, like that's a way into abstraction that is, I don't know, like a materialist abstraction or something like that. And I keep thinking about it and it's the only bit of the the book, you know, that, that, that book has defined my entire canon of performance and, it's the first art history of performance and stuff, but there's only a few bits of it that are like still incredibly striking. All of the other stuff is like stuff that I'd kind of already must have unconsciously accepted as what I thought about performance or what I thought about the development of art in the 20th century. But that bit really struck me as a new, like, oh yeah, like I never thought about the fact that that's a way to abstraction, not just a reveling in the kind of detritus of everyday mm. life. But like a way through or like a yeah imminent is the is the word that i was thinking those pieces that we spoke about before we started recording so the vito Conchi pieces where oh, yeah. he's kind of stepping on a chair for several days is that the kind of is that what you mean by the kind of ex- abstraction of movement i can't remember what piece particularly struck me in a in a in a profound way but yeah all of all of those pieces i guess that's why they were so exciting to me as a student or whatever when i must have mm. last looked at that book i think we talked about we were talking about a step piece weren't we by conchi where he steps up and down on a stool i can't remember it, i think he does it until he get until he can't do it anymore and records how long he could do it every day so there is some kind of there's other stuff going on there which is about obsessive stat statistics or something you you know using or tailorization you know of the workplace or something like that but yeah in essence the fact that he's taking this really mm. really boring movement or like a movement that gets performed for utilitarian reasons all the time and detaching it from its ut- 
utilitarian, detaching it from its purpose. There is something like fantastic about that, which I hadn't considered, which is that you are creating a form of abstraction from stuff that you know very well. So it's a form of abstraction that isn't like, I guess the problem with people like Barney or maybe like to use a more obvious example, the problem with people like Barnett Newman or Mark Rothko or something is that they were trying to escape the human or transcend the human to, with abstraction. Whereas perhaps there's a, a way of making abstract art that is like firmly within the body or something. And I hadn't thought about that before as the reason why lots of people are interested in the gummy materialism of everyday life. Mm. I wonder where, where do you think um, an artist like uh, Paul McCarthy fits into that, those kind of early video pieces that he did with, with food? The early ones, I think, are that. But then if you watch his more recent stuff, he is way more, maybe it's because he he's getting old, he's, he's very old now, but like, mm. you know, there are the recent ones. He like really has got historical figures and stuff. And it's a form of American historical document or something he's making. You know, like he has someone dressed up as Trump and someone dressed up as Nancy Reagan. Oh, does someone, he really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I yeah. Not like, seen, I've not seen those. And they're, you know, they're, so it's like a particular historical figure as as a an archetype, as like, you know, Trump is avarice or whatever it is. Like Trump yeah. is gluttony or something. Like in a very clear way where like that once that's established then it just goes back to Paul McCarthy like everyone being gross to each other and it being really weird and kind of porny or something mm. I don't know yeah but his early ones where it's like I mean there's still an element in, in lots of things and I I think the but the 60s and 70s stuff with all of these artists was I think the fact what was exciting about looking at it as a student or a young artist was the fact that it was so simple and like you you said in that conversation we heard earlier you didn't have to do anything, right? You just had to, the job was the real hard work, according to a 19 year old brain, is thinking of the thing and then doing the thing, stepping up and down is really easy. I'll just step up and down, that's fine. <laughs> you just have to think of the fact that step, stepping up and down could be interesting at all and then you can be a really amazing artist. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a freedom in that. I there think. was, but I think. As a 19-year-old. I found a bit of juvenilia recently, which I showed to my students, which was, um, I don't know who set us the task, but we were set, like, we got the, like, project space for a week. And uh, the thing that I made was I made a shelf and then I got a box on the shelf and I took off my trousers and then I got in the box and pushed baked beans through a little hole through the box. But then I filmed myself doing it and then I projected it back on and then I filmed myself cleaning up the beans and then oh. I projected that back on as well so it kind of was like a you I mean obviously like you know it's meant to be it's not meant to be as clear cut and as simple as something in the 70s I wasn't I wasn't thinking of that but I don't think I could have thought of something like that like I don't think that's the you know like I get far too specific far too quickly I don't think that is abstract I don't think that is about abstraction and daily gestures I think that's about reveling in something very particular about baked beans and abjection and mm. disgustingness or something disgusting Englishness so I don't know like I, I think what's interesting in old food I think is to come round back to our topic is that it really is a big long massive bit of concrete poetry and it also is a reveling in populist br you know British foodstuffs or some kind of particular class and gender and you know time period or it's like it manages it does a very clever thing of like managing to be all of those things or like maybe and that's maybe something to do with the fact that it's so long that it gets to slip in and around all of these things mm. maybe it would be a bit like dodgy if it was only like two pages long and do you know what I mean if yeah. it's just a little essay in, in freeze or something you'd be like do I really want to hear Ed Atkins talk about how brilliant baked beans and Worcester sauce is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the yeah. fact that he like sustains it, it becomes this like deep excavation of memory where what can be remembered is f actually quite abstract. Like mm. in its, you know. One thing that I did want to talk to, uh, talk to you about was: Do you know how he wrote it and or researched it? Or do you get a sense of that from the 
book. Where is Ed Atkins in this? At the back in the acknowledgements, he says this. Old Food started life as an exhibition, blah, blah, blah. Consisted of eight and then nine videos, some costumes and a series of enigmatic wall texts written by contemporary art writing daily. This text, Old Food, was written in blurts throughout that period, I suppose, only finally reaching a powerful form in early 2019. I've read chunks of it to audiences, then names the places. And there's also a pretty hysterical recording for Cold Protein of the first part entitled Flat Meat Cake to be listened to on the toilet in McDonald's in Leicester Square. So I suppose it's like he get, gets opportunities to write and then does so. And over time, this theme of food emerged or something. But I don't I don't know. He re- Yeah, I've seen him read a bit to some students at Kingston for a talk someone put on so so maybe it's just like a pet hobby or something and maybe some some of the text ended up in films and some of it is off cuts or something but it's not it's what's interesting i guess is that it's not unlike his film texts but also is not a is not a film and was and is a book of poetry so like yeah i guess that's what's that's what drew us to talking about it anyways because it's Mm. not just like talking about a film like you get to look at the text and you get to think about a person performing it rather than a CGI avatar and because it reads like a it, because it doesn't feel like a script either it does it it feels like he's shifted into writing a poem like fully it's not a sort of halfway house between a you know a script for a film or mm. or something it, it it it's very much that's what's so nice about it just it was like definitely a man reading a book <laughs> for two yeah. hours it was <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Ross for speaking to me and coming to see Ed Atkins' old food. Thanks to coronavirus for ruining the next few weeks after that performance. And thanks to, you know, like modern healthcare for giving me the vaccine, which meant that I wasn't very ill. All right. Enjoy whatever you're doing till the end of the year and I'll see you next year. <laughs>